0: Making the choice or helping me make the choice. Kind of the same thing. Um, They look at things called pleasure, arousal, dominance. There's measures for those types of things. Um, Within the last 20 to 30 years, it has actually been extended to retailing in general. So, um, you know, they want to look at the shopping experience. So, the perspective that I'm going to present today going forward is, you know, what is it about the shopping experience? I have this attitude towards local. Uh, my friends think I should buy local. My family loves, you know, wants me to buy local. Uh, I think I can get it, so I go to the grocery store with the intent to buy. What's going on that's going to prevent me from actually executing that behavior, keep that mind. Excuse me, I'm I'm very sorry about okay. that. we work for UTS. We want to get an audio recording of this, and I just got sent to the wrong room. Oh, okay. We can clip this on you real quick. Okay, we'll start from the there. Oh, you're fine. I apologize. Okay. So there's this concept of store atmospherics. I don't know if you all have been exposed to that, it's something we use in the marketing and retailing fairly frequently. Store atmospherics, thinking about all the things that are going on in the environment that's going to, again, affect my decision to buy or not to buy. Um, we think about all, I mean, many of you have probably gone grocery shopping, and I don't know if you've seen this. but. Think about going to a, a place like Kroger. I can remember going into a Kroger looking at the produce, and all of a sudden I hear this rainstorm, you know, mm-hmm. goes ksh, and then, you know, the mist starts coming down. That's an atmospheric piece. That's something that they're doing to try and make you actually buy whatever it is. You know, if you clothes shop, and this is kind of tangential, but you go into stores that play loud music. You go into stores that maybe, you know, candle stores that smell a certain way. Those are all atmospherics and things that marketers are trying to do to get you to buy their product. It's no different for food. You can do the same thing with food, they just have to know how to do that. So, um, what I'm thinking about for this particular uh, research, what I was thinking about is, okay, for a grocery store shopper, what's really important? What are the actual important things that you need to know? Or that they might want to study? So I looked at four different things. Um, I looked at certainly pricing. You know, what what is the price? I looked at things like the displays. How are they displaying the items? Customer service, um, big thing because a lot of, you know, you go into a Walmart, what kind of customer service do you get for your food? Probably not a lot. You go into a Whole Foods, you're probably gonna get a different level of customer service. So that could affect your purchase choice. And then obviously advertising and promotions to a certain degree. Um, Local isn't generally promoted from a, Aspect of we're going to give you money back if you buy local. Um, It's just now starting to come into being where you're seeing advertisements in in Sunday papers and things like that for, hey, you know, particularly in season, hey, we have a bushel of corn that's coming in or whatever the case may be, "Uh, we're going to put it on sale. But that doesn't generally happen uh, all that often. It could, it definitely could, you know, be something going forward that they'll want to do, but they need to know if the consumers are going to respond to that. So, like any academic, because that's what we do, we build a model. (laughs) Um, Now, the model on the left is basically the the parts that really go to the theory of of planned behavior. Attitudes towards local, subjective norms regarding purchase, you know, how did my family think, do they think I should buy local, Does, does my peer group think I should buy local, do my friends, they love local, therefore I should buy it, what's their effect on me? These last two pieces, Are actually, they're called perceived behavioral, I'm sorry, perceived consumer effectiveness and perceived product availability. Those particular constructs that were tested in this model were really part of perceived behavioral control. Some of the academic literature um, has since come out and said, you know what, Uh, just because I think I can buy local doesn't mean I can actually execute it the product may not be there because it may not be in season. So I wanted to see how seasonality kind of affected, you know, the intentions and things like that. So that's why I split those two out. And you'll see um, in a few slides later on when I start talking about some of the statistics that were used, you'll see that perceived consumer effectiveness is really kind of, I guess the best way to describe it is a squirrely type of uh, latent construct because it didn't behave the way I anticipated it would behave. But I thought it was important to at least introduce it because those are types of things that if you do research in this area, you'll find that there's a lot of gray area when you do social science research. So how those things lead into intention to produce locally food or purchase locally produced foods I put the store atmospherics piece in there, uh, price consciousness as a moderator, and then the extent of local. And you'll notice that store atmospheric responsiveness was split out into the four dimensions that I talked about earlier. You've got your assortment, you've got your display factors, your customer service, and your promotions. So in my model, I actually tested it as a second-order construct. The hypotheses that went with it was basically everything is positive related with everything else. We like to think, you know, the reality is that if you have a high attitude towards local foods, more than likely your intention to buy local foods is going to be pretty high. Um, You know, if you feel like you're being influenced by your family and friends, you'll probably be more willing to buy or intend to buy locally produced foods. So, uh, for the most part, everything was set up in the research as having uh, a positive relationship. The last thing to note is the per- price consciousness piece, um, because again, based on the economy and and where we are as a society and in purchasing food, I you know the idea was I think that even though I go into a store to buy locally produced foods, if it's six dollars for a carrot, I'm probably not going to buy it. You know, I have a set amount of money, so pr- you know how price conscious I am might be different than how price conscious somebody else is. Question. We're, Modifying yes. And yes. Uh, and, and that's something that, and that's a good point because that's something down the road we're going to reposition some of the constructs in the model. Because to your point, if you know that this price is going to be six step, but it really depends upon the circumstance of where you're shopping. I don't know what Walmart's going to charge for a locally produced carrot. But I have a pretty good idea if I go to Whole Foods, I'm going to pay this range. So in that case, that might affect my, my attitude and my decision to actually go shopping for that. So yes, I, that, that's something we're going to continue to look at. I don't know if you can see these key definitions. I'm going to po- we talked about posting the slides after the, um, after the presentation, so they will be available for everybody. The key things I want to point out on this, not so much about the attitudes and the subjective norms. I do want to point out these two things called perceived product availability and perceived consumer effectiveness. The product availability, obviously, if I go into a store, do I think it's going to be there? If I, make, you know, if I have to go grocery shopping, do I think I can find local foods at Walmart? Do I think I can find it at Kroger? Um, so that's the, the availability piece. The second piece is the consumer effectiveness piece. I am um, an individual consumer. I have certain you know, consumption needs that, that I fill. My wife has consumption needs that she fills. You know, we, but do our individual decisions make a difference on the whole? When you think about effectiveness and consumer effectiveness, think about you know, when you go to buy something local, do you really believe that your choices are going to affect the whole local movement? And so that's kind of something we wanted to really start digging into a little bit more. Um, and then, obviously, the, atmosphere, the store atmospherics piece I talked about in terms of, you know, what's going on with customer service, what's going on with, uh, you know, pricing and things of that sort. So within our sample and setting, um, you know, we wanted consumers that were at least 18, you know, for IRB purposes. And, um, you know, we tried to get uh, consumers, because we weren't doing this as an observational, we were doing this as a, you know, kind of a, you know, Uh, getting information so we can we can kind of explore it a little bit further so uh, we didn't set this up as as uh, a design where you would actually go out to the stores and follow somebody around and and do that type of thing we did it through a a customer survey base Um, but we did ask them did you buy something at a grocery store that was local within the last 12 months we didn't want to exclude a whole lot of people but we wanted to at least keep it within a year so people could sort of remember yeah I went to Kroger couple months ago and bought some lettuce that was locally produced. Um, Had to use a market online survey company because, again, um, the timing of when this research was done was late February, early March, and the reality is the retailers at that point weren't carrying local because where I was at, it really wasn't in season. So we weren't going to get a lot of people buying local when local really started to pick up for that particular area. It didn't start picking up until end of April, beginning of May through October. So um, we decided to go ahead. You know, I was talking to my advisor. Let's use the market survey company. Now here's the fun part. So uh, I'm going to go through a few slides that deal with how the structural equation modeling was done. Um, If I start to get a little lost in the weeds, stop me. Um, Anybody that's done structural equation modeling will know that it's a very gray area in some cases. Um, What we did was we obviously did some preliminary uh, setup and analysis and then I went through and said okay let's check the reliabilities. we're going to do confirmatory factor analysis, and we're going to do structural equation models so I'm just going to give you again the very uh, basics to that. Some of the data descriptives that I thought were really important to share Gender, we actually had a pretty good split. We had about 50 50, which usually doesn't happen when you use consumer survey companies and whatnot. So I I think we just sort of stumbled into being lucky uh, to do that. Uh, Most of the people were 35 to 54 years old, about half. So, uh, you know, there was a range where where that's kind of where it fell. Um, You know, more than half were married. Uh, Most of the respondents were Caucasian, so again, going forward, there's going to be an opportunity to look at different ethnicities and, you know, start breaking, doing more group analysis, so to speak. Um, Over a third had some college education, uh, about 30% with a bachelor's degree. Most people had incomes less than $50,000, and then they were full-time employed, but notice that was about, it was actually less than half were full-time employed. So again, that might be a sign of what the times are, that might be a sign of, of um, you know, just people that tend to fill out surveys online. And then uh, the area of residence was, was less than, a good portion of them were less than 50%. Some of the data descriptives. Um, the question was asked, think about the place that you most generally shop for locally produced foods as in a grocery store. Now, does that grocery store carry these categories? Uh, we listed 14 categories based upon USDA information, information from Whole Foods, uh, you know, things that we knew, U.S. Uh, sick codes, those types of things. Most people associated, again, locally produced foods with fruits and vegetables. Doesn't seem surprising, but what kind of seems surprising is um, because it was a national survey, I really would have expected fish and shellfish to be a little bit higher. Um, you know, particularly because we had a decent amount of respondents were on the West Coast. You know, you think about the East Coast, all the shrimping that goes on here, uh, you would think that that might be something more associated with local, but people didn't technically associate it with their favorite stores. Um, Beer, we didn't ask about wine. We had a couple reasons for that, but but beer, you know, obviously candy nuts, confectionery, those types of things weren't really associated with local. It was your fruits, your vegetables, your dairy products for the most part. Question was asked, where do you typically shop for locally produced foods? Okay, well, it wasn't an exclusionary type of questions where each each response was mutually exclusive. They could pick anything or everything that that kind of fit their shopping habits. Uh, Not unsurprising, most people said, yes, we go to grocery stores to buy local. Uh, A lot of people, about a third, said we go to specialty stores. 37% 37% said, yeah, we use like the big super centers, Walmart, Target, Meijer, etc. Um, 16% were looking at, at warehouse clubs. Uh, again, not surprising. A lot of people that go to grocery stores to buy local also enjoy going to the farmers markets. And, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, For me, I, I think that's a wonderful thing because it shows that one isn't necessarily you know, going to compensate and, and hurt the other. You can have... Farmers' markets continue to grow. We've got about 7,100 farmers' markets, right, almost 7,200, I believe. But we're also seeing a lot more availability for local and grocery stores. So it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, you can have both. Uh, Community-supported agriculture, about 13%. So, you know, we're seeing that people are going to different places for their local foods. Here's where it gets a little fun. I asked the question. Uh, where, what do you consider or how do you describe locally you know, produced foods? What is your, your, And I asked them from a geographic perspective. Most people thought within 50, I mean for the most part, within 50 miles or less is what most respondents said. Now this is a little bit different obviously when we start getting into some of the retailer uh, perspectives. Walmart looks at local within 450 miles of, of where their, their stores and distribution is. That's nowhere close to 50 miles, you know. Um, Whole Foods kind of leaves it up to, you know, they say, well, it's really up to the store to decide what local is. But they're looking at local from a time perspective. Anything that's within seven hours of their store, they consider as local. Okay, seven hours, you know, could be three, four, depending on how fast you drive. It could be, you know, 600 miles. I really, you know, it really depends. So the idea uh, on this was, Most of the consumers, or a good portion of them, thought, okay, local truly is geographically local within my county, within my city, right here. That's not what the retailers are trying to portray. So the next question then became, okay, I consider locally produced foods to be, looking at it from a totally different perspective, not a geographic perspective. Well, foods produced by my neighbors, socially responsible, You know, there's the environmentally safe, all of those things that fit into the public health. That's great. Notice the item that was uh, listed in red. Foods that are organically grown, 33%. Now, those of us that study local uh, on a regular basis know that local and organic, they can be the same, but a lot of times they aren't. They don't have to be the same. So if you think about local, you know, retailers need to do a better job of educating just as researchers and and the public health department and 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 so forth and so on because again organic and local don't always mean the same thing you have the pesticide issues um, you know you could have a local grower that's using a lot of pesticides you could have organic growers that obviously aren't using them but might be a little bit further away so that's a confusion point that needs to get addressed in the research going forward more uh, descriptives, and then we'll get into the actual SEM piece. Uh, how many stores do people typically shop for local? Most people said, or typically shop in general, most people said two or three. I don't know about y'all, but I hate the grocery shop, so going to three stores is a lot, you know. But I would do it for local. With with Whole Foods opening up, I want to say in September. From what I heard last time, I believe Whole Foods is coming around late late August in September. So uh, I'll probably be going there a little bit more. So I asked them, okay, where do you normally shop for groceries? Not surprising, Walmart, Kroger, Publix, your national grocery stores, were pretty high. Um, the store that they most often shop for local, however, was a little bit different. If you notice the percentage of 121 say they normally go to Walmart, but only 36 say that that's where they usually buy their, their local foods. They end up going somewhere else. The percentage for Kroger, you know, Publix is a little bit better. So, while Walmart's trying to promote local, they really need to do a better job of getting it out there, because consumers still aren't seeing lo- the connection between local and Walmart. so A um, couple things on the reliabilities of this particular study. Um, certainly, anytime you do a study, you borrow measures and you try and adapt them to, to what you're doing. Uh, the original study had seven different constructs, and that doesn't include this price consciousness piece. It had seven different constructs and 42 measures. Um, you know, attitude, subjective norms, the product availability, the consumer effectiveness, intention, store atmospherics, and then the ex, uh, extent of purchase. Most of the reliabilities were good. You'll notice, if you can see in the back, there's still something a little squirrely going on with perceived consumer effectiveness, I'll get to that in a second. So why did we decide, and why was the decision made to use SEM? You know, you can use uh, a number of different ways to look at it. You can even do qualitative studies. Um, You know, some of the literature basically says, you know, depending upon the type of model, using SEM is really good if you have these really abstract ideas, um, you know, things that aren't necessarily obvious. You know, in your particular disciplines, I'm guessing that you also do causal relationships if... Uh, longitudinal studies, that type of thing. You know, we didn't have the luxury of doing something like this, so we said, okay, you know, if we're going to look at this this idea of, of attitude, how do you really quantify attitude? It's a difficult thing because you could measure it six different ways, you can measure it 18 different ways, whatever. It's not like height and weight, it's, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, there's, there's some reasons that we chose to do it. The, the biggest thing is, um, again, because it is... Um, It's exploratory research uh, because there were second-order factors for those that use uh, SEM or have used it in the past. There was a second-order factor. The biggest thing is we're using it to not only try and test the hypotheses, but we're also saying, you know what, this model may not be 100% correct. Because it's not 100% correct, you may have to tweak the model a little bit. Typically in a regression type of setting. You test whether this is related to this, this is related to this, and then you're done. It doesn't work that way with structural equation modeling. How did we review, and how how did I go through there and say yes, this makes sense, or doesn't make sense? Well, um, you want to see if the standardized loadings are good. So the short version is, you know, if you have measures, does this measure look like it's representative of the construct it's saying that it's measuring? So if I say You know, I believe local is good for me. That's an attitude. How do I measure that? Okay, is that measurement a good representative representative, uh, measure of attitude? Um, And then, obviously, we did modification indices, which those that have used structural equation modeling know, it asks you to change the model. Um, You know, you can make some changes to the model without affecting the overall idea of the model. So when it was all put together, You know, made some small changes. We looked at the model and we said, okay. um, our chi-square and our CFI, NFI, we looked at at these four statistics. Um, Typically for exploratory research, these statistics need to be at least 0.9 or above. Basically, that's saying it's a relatively decent model. Um, You know, we didn't get it as close as we would have liked to. You know, there's research that says you really want those at 0.95. There's also research that says, you, okay, you can do it at 0.90 if it's exploratory. So, you know, we looked at it and said, okay, that's not the best fitting model. That's not the best way to explain what's going on, but, you know, that's one way to look at it. So the next step then became, okay, we're going to test this model to make sure that all of these things that say they're you know, measuring attitude, all of these things that say they're measuring perceived consumer effectiveness, they're actually measuring those things and they're not measuring something else. So there's a test that you can do to do that. Um, You look at something called average variance extracted. Um, The short version of that is you want these particular numbers and and you want to make sure that, that the items that say that they're going to measure attitude are actually measuring attitude you want those numbers to be at least 0.5 or above. Okay, so we cleared that hurdle. We know for a fact that, that the items that were measuring attitude and, you know, subjective norms and things like that, we covered that. The next part of it is, I don't want the stuff that's supposed to measure attitude to measure perceived consumer effectiveness. I don't want it to measure something totally different. I want it to measure just these things to make this a good model. Well, what we noticed was, this idea of perceived consumer effectiveness really didn't distinguish itself as being its own construct. The me- we, only had, we started with three. We ended up with two measures. So there's some reasons why that happened. But, but again, what we were seeing is this idea of perceived consumer effectiveness really wasn't its own separate thought. It was really part of attitude. Yes? Could you briefly explain what perceived consumer effectiveness is? Yeah, I was going to actually... Um, I'm going to show you the definition of perceived consumer effectiveness real quick. Can you see that right there? Right here. It's a consumer's belief that their personal behavior could have an effect on any environmentally friendly or environmentally related resources. So does do I believe that my you know that my decision to buy some, I mean, the way to relate it is, do I believe that my decision to buy something has an effect on you know environmental resources? So if I buy local, do I think it really helps the environment by me individually buying local? You kind of split in hairs between, is that an attitude or is that its own you know type of thing? So that's where that's where it kind of it, it kind of got a little gray. So what we decided to do then, Was to go back and say, okay, we know that this thing doesn't really separate itself from the idea of attitude. There was some literature that we went back and I said, okay, I looked at the literature and said, this particular thing, because it doesn't delineate itself from attitude, the literature said that I could basically. Attitude and perceived consumer effectiveness were very close to one another. That PCE was actually a, um, you know, the best way to put it would be, PCE would be sort of a dimension of attitude. So from that, what, what we ended up doing and what I talked to the advisor about was, OK, I have this idea of PCE, there's two measures. You do one of two things. You either eliminate them all together, which is typically what's done, or if you can justify it through the literature, take those measures and let them load on something else. That's what was done in this particular research. So what we ended up then with was attitude having two additional measures, which were the two from perceived consumer effectiveness, making the changes, the model significantly got better. Yes? Right. Yeah. So it's making the assumption in some sense that people are shopping local with the hopes of changing the environment. Absolutely. Maybe for some people it's just they shop local because they want their friend to like them. Right. So a of other Absolutely. Are, Absolutely. So, and it's, and this is the one thing that, you know, for the students that are involved here, uh, the one thing that I would probably try to convey as as best as possible is, you know, there's not necessarily one right way to do the research because what you're going to find is you're going to find competing, competing literature articles that say one thing and then you're going to find something that says, no, we tested it this completely other way. The original research was based upon a few articles that said, hey, this PCE, this is its own thing. It really is an attitude. It is its own thing. But then when I adapted it to the idea of locally produced foods in retail grocery, it really wasn't its own thing. It was part of attitude, at least for that particular sample. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's going to be something when you'll, when, you know, I'll, I'll hit that point of, you know, going forward, is that something we can we can look at? Yes. question about the previous slide where you had that matrix um, of results. That one. Um, if you look at the last row, extent of purchase. Mm-hmm. Yes. relates to um, the atmospheric responsiveness, right? Yes. So that was pretty high as well. Well, and, and it was actually pretty high with PCE. Mm-hmm. So the way extent of purchase was measured was, um, was, you have to think about it in terms of it wasn't a quantifiable. It was on a seven. The scales that were used were pretty much Likert scales for this particular research. So seven point from strongly disagree to strongly agree. Um, you know, so the extent of purchase was was basically, um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and purchase this. It, it wasn't an intent to purchase. It was, uh, I've, I've, you know, I've decided to purchase this and let me get here real quick. Okay, so I don't know if you could see some of these, but. When you buy food items at a grocery store, to what extent are you loyal to locally produced foods? When you buy eggs at a grocery store, to what extent do you buy locally produced eggs? You know, not at all, I buy it all the time. That was kind of the scale that was set up for extent because again, we couldn't, without knowing what the shopping habits were, we couldn't go in and following each, each individual consumer. We just have to assume, um, you know, that, that they're shopping for, you know, that they're getting what they, what they go in for basically. Extent is really hard unless you're going to do an observational study. Extent of purchase is an awfully hard concept to measure. Uh, unless you catch them coming out of, you know, nobody likes to be bothered with a thing full of groceries coming out of a grocery store. You know, you don't want to be really stopped and say, hey, would you mind filling out this survey? I've, you know, I need you to tell me exactly what you bought and when. You could set it up as a longitudinal study. For this particular study, we set it up as to what extent do you buy local when you can, uh, you know, or when you. Uh, you know if if it's available to what extent do you buy it so okay we got through most of the nuts and bolts on this so i'll get to some of the fun aha moments so the extent of purchase is really the only one capturing something about behavior. yes yes a lot of this is here's my attitude um, here's what's going on okay so when i ran the structural piece We got the the confirmatory factor analysis, that piece, the model was okay. Um, The measurement model finished up okay. We got to the structural model. Uh, RMSEA was pretty good. CFI was above 0.9. Again, because it's exploratory research, we decided that it was actually acceptable. Uh, Ideally, you want those numbers to be closer to 0.95, and we get that, but we also understand that it's hard to measure attitudes and things like that. Um, So for this particular model, Here's the hypotheses that were tested. Uh, Attitude to intention of purchase. We said, yes, there's going to be a relationship, a strong positive relationship, and there was. Subjective norms. There was a strong relationship, but it was negative. So the short version is just because my friends tell me I want to buy local foods in a grocery setting, that doesn't mean I'm going to buy local foods. Just because my peer groups think I should buy local in a retail grocery setting, that doesn't mean that I'm going to buy local. And that was kind of the aha moment for us: was, you know, what if society's think, saying that that local is good for me? My family says I should buy local. Uh, my friends that I that I stay in contact with, my peer group, all says, you know what, local is good for you. Hey, you know, you should go down to Kroger; they have some local produce. That doesn't mean I'm actually uh, going to be affected by that and make that make that dis- you know distinguish. Um, you know distinguish that so um, and it was actually in the negative it was actually in the negative so people are basically saying no just because mom and dad or whoever say I should buy local you know there may be other factors going on I may not have the money to do it I might be time constrained when I go in there I mean It, they did. It was. It was. Po- I mean, it was so set was up it as a positive. A positive. You it was the, yeah, it was a yeah. It wasn't it, right. It was just for whatever reason, um, you know, that didn't. Th- they all thought it was a positive thing. They just didn't say that, even though it was positive. I'm being affected by my parents, my peer group, society in general, which is kind of. A, it's sort of counterintuitive, but that's something that, you know, we're, we're going to be pursuing as to. Does that work in other settings? So in a retail grocery it might work because you're time constrained when you grocery shop. You've got kids next, you know, with you when you're grocery shopping. Uh, you don't necessarily think about, oh, you know, Ann Esther said I need to go buy local and so I'm gonna go ahead and do this. You've got a list, you're trying to get in and out. So there's things that are going on in a grocery setting. It's a little bit different than a farmer's market because all the farmer's market research says that's significant and it's also positive. So I thought it would be the opposite. Yeah. yeah see i think I think they're starting to see it the other way, and part of the reason is because again, local has become more mainstream, and because it's becoming more mainstream it's not this new concept anymore I mean you could you could pretty much pick up a newspaper, you can pick up some of the you're really starting to see the more mainstreaming of of local foods in in grocery and other places, and because it's becoming more mainstream, consumers aren't thinking of it as this this wild idea that used to happen so um Everything else for, for Visions of Time and whatnot, everything else was pretty much supported. So there was, there was a strong relationship between uh, product availability and intention to purchase, intention to pur- purchase and extent. Um, store atmospheric responsiveness, which I tested as a second order, actually wor- you know, worked, worked well. So um, Now, one thing I'll get to in a second is I tested price consciousness. Price consciousness between the groups that I set up didn't show any significant difference again, one of those aha moments okay I mentioned earlier that a lot of people are price conscious when it comes to food when we ran this study in this particular setting it didn't show that they they were price conscious. Why is that? Well, I have some reasons that that might have have so I'll just really quickly run through the test and then let you know explain what happened um, did four measures of price consciousness and then totaled them. Um, did a median split, which is pretty consistent. Um, put them into more price conscious and less price conscious group. And this was done very similar to uh, a study that was done by Gupta and Ogden in a marketing journal that had to do with separating on low versus high. Um, so they did the exact same thing. So we had two nested group models. What you do is you tie them together and you say they're totally equal across the groups. And then you free up some paths and say, okay, let's let this one kind of decide whether or not it works or not. And then you test to see statistically whether or not those two groups are different. And I can kind of go over that a little more after the fact. Um, Used a chi-square difference test, which is pretty standard. Wasn't really a significant difference between the two groups, so low versus high. Now, um, there are some implications to this. From a research perspective, obviously, the implications have to do with the theory plan behavior, the store atmospherics piece. You know, we could continue and pursue those things a little bit further. I didn't bring up the store atmospheric, for sake of time on this presentation, I didn't talk about store atmospheric responsiveness as being a mediator. But that was tested in the original model, and we found that that does mediate the relationship between intent and extent. So people going with the intent to buy, they're going to notice something about the displays. Whether it's just a little something or a lot of something, they're still going to notice what's going on in the grocery stores. Um, So there is some response that goes on that that does impact, you know, maybe potentially how much they buy and what what they buy. Um, Now the manager, we do a lot in social sciences of what are the implications to not only the academic side but, you know, for for public health, obviously, you want to know how it's going to affect the population in general. Uh, For us, we want to know, okay, how is it going to affect the business managers? How's it gonna affect the retailers? Well, the retailers need to know that store atmospheric responsiveness is kind of a big deal. Um, It's one of those things where they need to start really focusing in on how can they not only get people into the stores, but what they can do within the store to get people to buy local foods. It's not just putting up a sign that says, hey, we're gonna have local today you know maybe it's a case where what you can do is you can put a picture of the farmer and you see in some places where they put pictures of the farmers and they say this product was grown on Jones farm and on Jones farm here's the farmer and this is what they deal uh, consumers actually do respond to that um, I won't go through each construct implications other than the ones that weren't supported so we talked about subjective norms and you know, the the aha for us and for me was, you know what, maybe grocery shoppers aren't affected as much by their peer groups. Um, You know, again, think about when you put your store list, shopping list together, what do you think about? It's just stuff you have to get. You don't necessarily think about society as a whole. You just need to get in, get out, get your stuff done. So, you know, that might be one. uh, And then obviously grocery stores aren't the most social places to be. You have a grocery store. Much more people would rather go to a farmer's market than they would certainly a grocery store because farmer's markets tend to be more social. You take your pets, you take your, you know, your friends, your family. You can do it as a, you know, spend a couple, maybe a morning on a Saturday with a cup of coffee, talking to the vendors. That's a good thing. Not so much in grocery stores. Um, perceived consumer effectiveness, because I couldn't get it to distinguish from attitude. As a separate construct, we just, you know eliminated it. So I think that type of thing needs to be really explored a lot further. Part of the research says it's its own separate you know, animal. Part of the research says, you know what, it's really part of attitude. So going forward, there could be certainly a paper or two that says, you know what, under what context is, you know, do people really think that they make a difference in society? Under what context are we looking at? Is it under farmer's market context? Is it under grocery store context? Whatever the case may be. The rest of these were supported. The price consciousness wasn't supported. Um, There is research in the academic literature for marketing and for retailing that says people are willing to pay a little bit more for local. That's pretty standard. Um, But do you make trade-offs when you go grocery shopping? You have a list, you have $100 to spend or 50 bucks. What can you buy for that 50 bucks? Do you get everything on your list or do you spend a little bit more on local? And if you spend a little bit more on local, what do you have to give up? So um, trade-offs are happening all the time in grocery stores. You know, certainly, there's a temporal nature of local foods because it's only in there for a short period of time. So you know, I would hope that, that as local come, you know, becomes more available in the grocery stores, that um, you know, people would still continue to pay a little bit extra. But as it becomes more available, like any marketing or economic thing, as you see more of something, the prices tend to go down. So as Walmart continues to get more involved in local, you should start to see that the prices of local and grocery starts to go down because Walmart is one of the leading players. Uh, limitations I hit real quick. Couldn't really test uh, price, you know, perceived consumer effectiveness. I had to use a, a survey company to help with the sample going forward. I would love to do observational research. Um, because I think you're going to get a lot more out of it. It's like anything else. Um, you know, if you can see what's happening and you can ask them right there, why did you choose this product over the same locally produced product? You know, why, you know, what's the difference? Um, so I think those are some things. And then obviously, you can start looking at group differences You know, group shoppers, whether it's male, female, we did a little bit of that, whether it's uh, ethnicity, whether, you know, you can separate shoppers a number of different ways. People that come from a small town like myself, where, you know, you kind of were growing up around local foods and people from the big city, you know, do they see it the same way? So those are types of things that we're starting to look at. Um, I want to particularly look at store atmospheric responsiveness. I want to look at the food categories again. You know, why is fish not as much of local as, uh, uh, you know, some of these other things? Why is beer and wine really not local? I mean, you have your local microbreweries and things like that. Why is that not considered local? Um, and then price premiums, which I mentioned. So um, sum it up and got about five or six minutes to go. I guess the best way to sum it up is local is continually growing. Everybody knows that. Everybody's researching it. Take care. Um, You know, uh, the best thing that I could say um, as an academic and somebody that's that's interested just on a personal level is that we all have a stake in this. It's, you know, and, and I was mentioning this earlier, you know, if the retailers didn't get it from the producers, it wouldn't work. If the consumers didn't ask for it, the retailers wouldn't buy it. So as a system, all this has to work together. You can't have one piece without the other. So I'll take questions. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Who's funding the research for this? Me. <laughs> me, me, me. Right now, um, there, there's obviously some potential grant work that. I don't that, that in public though, but I just have to no. say. <laughs> no, it, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, in an ideal world, what the next step as a researcher would be would be to work with the retailers individually and say, okay, Walmart, you're a billion dollar plus company, I mean, you're a multi billion dollar company. Would you be willing to take $50,000 and I can investigate this, this, and this? You know, there's potential from a retailing side to do more partnerships that way. Um, I'm particularly interested what's going to happen when Whole Foods gets here because, you know, you have Earth Fair, you have 14 Carat, you have some of those places, but Whole Foods is a national, you know, is really well known for their their local and organic and sustainable practices. So how is that going to affect the retail landscape? That's something I really want to look at. Yes. On the side of Whole Foods, do you investigate who these um, different chains are owned by? For example, Whole Foods is owned by, uh, it's more seen as more corporate and Yeah. by a person that's not really caring so much about the environment. He just wants it more for the money. Right. So, I mean, are you investigating, like, do customers really know that side of it? Because I'd rather support, I mean, the marketing is great. You know, Whole Foods is organic. Right, right, right. No, and, and that no, that's that's great because I, in fact, I read an article this week that talked about Walmart. You know, specifically, Walmart is starting to label um, products as being like healthy, you know, healthy for you or whatever. So um, they're trying to capitalize on this whole notion of we need to eat more healthy, we need to do things more healthy. But as a consumer and in people that are invested in public health, which all of us are. Doesn't that seem kind of contradictory? That you have these big companies that that in a lot of ways really tear, I don't want to say tear up the environment, but you know they're sourcing things from overseas, they're sourcing all over the place, and now only because consumers are saying we really really want this, now all of a sudden they're starting to come to you know have this oh maybe we should start you know start doing the right thing. So um, you know as a researcher I kind of have to take a step back from my own personal views of it and say you know what okay, what are consumers actually seeing when they buy something at a Walmart? Do they, do they look at the corporate structure and say Walmart is bad, or are they saying, you know what, at least I'm doing something to help the environment. You know, at least I'm doing something to help my own health. So those are things that I think you could, you could certainly research going forward. And also, um, you mentioned something how it's annoying for a customer to come out with groceries. To oh, survey. yeah. <laughs> issue. Um, I survey with festivals and events. And yeah. the receipt afterwards see what they if they're willing to give it up yeah. I mean yeah that to do a pre and a post would be probably the best case scenario other than actually walking through them with the store and mm-hmm. writing down okay you know audio record it tell me what you thought about when you went to this display what did you see what did you notice okay. You know, there's research that does that, but it's—I mean—it's really time-consuming, and, and the reality is, you have to—I ha- mean, there's a, there's a huge expense to do that. I don't know if consumers would be willing to not only show you their receipts, but if they'd be willing to take the time either pre or post shopping trip. Because again, we all know when we shop, I run into Kroger. If there's an incentive, but how, you know, what's what? Where do you draw the line? Is it five dollars? Is it? You know, we'll buy your local items for you, but if you do that, then obviously, you know, that's going to increase. That's going to kind of skew the data. So, you know, you. It would it's be an incentive to buy. Like, here's five dollars off your next time. You come right. Yeah, and, and that would be that would be something we could certainly do. Um, you know, and and maybe we talk after for a few minutes about maybe some things that we could do collaboratively on something like that. that. There you go. So, sir. I was thinking about. Attributes or appearance of the food on the, mm-hmm. the very local level, you know, um, buying locally. You may, you may have the perception of buying local is great, but do you, do you think or have you seen um, any evidence to indicate that people have been conditioned the other way? I mean, I, mean, I look for, when I look for what I think of as a good tomato based on advertisements and right. identical food is a bunch of huge ripe red tomatoes yeah. compared to that bunch over there. that are all different sizes, and that one has a speck on right. it. Right. I, I think, unfortunately, those that are in the know when it comes to the local movement know that the bright red ones probably aren't as good for you as the ones that might have a speck or two on them. Um, you know, but communicate, getting that message out, and communicating that to, you know, the general pub- public is a little bit more difficult because, you know, again, you're not spending 15 minutes looking at a grocery display for every single item that you're, you're buying. So, you know, they're going to grab what they think looks good. And that's why, you know, research that might introduce something like, you know what, here's a picture of, and, and, and some stores do that. They put a picture of the actual grower on there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important because that at least for a, you know, a temporal moment will allow them to say, hey, you know what, maybe I need to start thinking. Maybe it kind of kicks in a reminder and, and, and gives them some sort of emotional connection. So those are the types of things that we want to continue to look at. I'm doing some research right now on, you know, when you buy local, do you connect with the producer? Do you connect with the store? How do you connect with each consumer? How do you connect with you know the environment? How do you connect with society in general? And maybe getting some feedback on that might actually be be helpful going forward. So, sorry, I ran through a lot of those stats, but you know I I wanted to at least like I said give you kind of an overview of that type of research because. You know we can do local research in a number of ways in our retailing department sometimes we do qualitative sometimes we do quantitative sometimes we do observational but i i would say that you know from a social science perspective uh, there's a number of of ways that you could certainly do it and you know we're always in- encouraging partnerships between colleges and universities and within colleges so if you all have an idea on something that's local or something you want to pursue and you think that there might be a retail perspective or marketing perspective we can handle, I've got some business cards up here or I can talk afterwards. So feel free to take a business card and, and we'll go from there. Yes? I don't think everybody signed in oh. uh, based on how many signed in and the people, so I'm sure you want to know who was here. Yeah, I do. So definitely make sure you sign the form too. So... I think my hour is up unless y'all had <laughs> well, thank you all had. Well, thank you for the invite.